Hello. Hello there. Uh, I'm Georgie. I'm Kate. And we are Nothing Rhymes with Murder. Murder. Each week we hit up a new country and tell each other a true crime story from it. Usually also whilst guzzling Prosecco. Past trips have led us to the vampire of Krakow in Poland, the last witch burned in Ireland, and the boozing barber in Canada. We don't like to leave you on a downer though, so we will give you some fun hotspots to visit also. Absolutely, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at NRWM Podcasts on Twitter and Nothing Rhymes With Murder on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And remember kids, life is a journey. Just don't let murder stop you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye then. Okay, bye goodbye, now. Bye, bye, goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hello, hello. A weekly podcast that brings you sweet treats of lawyers, guns, money, and other tales from the poor, poor, pitiful world of music. I assume those are references. They, they are. To the topic. Matt, most people don't probably know. don't understand these references. No. I know one reference and yeah. one reference only. We'll get to it. excited for you. We are your two excitable hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And this week, in case our... Teaser picture and these little hints and the they intro prob- didn't yeah, give they, it to you. It's, yeah, no. We're talking about Warren Zevon. Yay. Warren Zevon. Doing you, it. You don't know who it, you don't know who we're talking I don't know. I mean, some people do. <laughs> In fact, one person is Owen who requested this episode yes. as this is still part of our listener suggested series. And so thank you, Owen. So thank you. No, you're welcome, Owen. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm just kidding. Thank, thank you. Thank you for... <laughs> Being a, a devoted listener to us. We appreciate it. Yes. But I, I have to admit, um, and I think it's safe to assume, that this name doesn't ring a bell for everyone who hears it. No, not at all. And for those that it does, it's likely you only know it for one reason. Werewolves of London. Ah, uh, Werewolves, Werewolves of London. London. Which is the fucking <laughs> best Halloween song. Yeah. Like, I would have put it on my Halloween playlist. But it's a given. It's a given. It's if that's not on given. your Halloween playlist, choices. What are you doing? Choices. You don't deserve to have a Halloween playlist. I mean, what's on your playlist? The Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack? I don't want to go to that party. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near that party. Sorry. We all dressed like Oogie Boogie. <laughs> but we didn't wear anything underneath. Is that It's a- just all dicks underneath Oogie Boogie's outfit. Oh, is that a no, Nightmare Before Christmas reference? Have you ever seen it? Yeah, I've seen it a bunch of times, but I do not like it. <laughs> it's fine, but the fans ruined it, really. Yeah, hot sorry Topic you... ruined it. Sorry, also. Hot Topic. You kind of ruined Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, no, I am not sorry <laughs> about hot, for Hot Topic. They have ruined plenty of things. Yeah. Also, they get... I'm I'm grateful Nightmare for them Christmas. because they were like a savior in high school. Oh, yeah. But then they went a little overboard. Yeah. And they're still riding that overboard train. You know, some people still might go and shop there sometimes. It's fine. I'm not going to lie. I do. Sometimes. They got really cheap costume jewelry. Oh, yeah, they do. And that that's my fucking bread and butter. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, not going to yeah. fault you for that. Yeah. Like, they're cheap shit. The sunglasses. Oh, yeah. 
and the hair shit. The shitty nail polish. Oh, yeah. That looks real good for the first night you wear it. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Back to Mr. Zivon. Honestly, researching this guy was pretty fascinating and eye-opening for me because we only know him for this one song for the most part. Some people might know him for more and good for you because. He also had a very famous quote about sandwiches. Yeah. We'll get to there. We'll get there. That's, that's, you're, you're jumping. Way you're ahead. jumping, like, <laughs> super far ahead. That's not to, like, the end of the episode. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out this dude lived a pretty wild life that not many people knew about. And his influence on others may have gone unnoticed by the masses, but was deeply felt in the music community. And you know what else was deeply felt? Because mm-hmm. I nearly forgot to say it, was the beer we're drinking tonight. <laughs> we are drinking from Clown Shoes Brewing. Which I don't think we've had them yet, have we? No. I don't think so. Very exciting. Yeah. New beer. I like it. It is called Zebra Warren, which I will admit, I don't think has anything to do with Warren Zevon, but it looked just like they were trying to play off his name. Hey. And the guy on the can kind of looked like Warren Zevon if he was balding. Yeah. So, and honestly, there was no werewolves. Desperate times, Beer. desperate measures. Guys, we told you, sometimes we gotta bullshit it. Yeah. And this was a bullshit at night, so take from it what you will. But it is actually a really fucking tasty beer. It is. It's delicious. It's pink guava. It's an IPA, and I can taste the citrus notes in it. You know what? I like citrus in my IPAs. And we tossed a little lemon in there just to, like, that That kind of really brings out more of the bouquet of citrus, so to speak. <laughs> I mean... If you're not super into hops. Which most people aren't. I I assume. If you are, I challenge that. (laughs) I want to watch you eat a hop. I want to watch you suck down some potpourri hops. Yeah. And uh, tell me you like it. Yeah. Tell me how much you love it. (laughs) Yeah. I will soak hops in hot water, put it in the fridge for a little bit, bring it to me, like, drink it. Drink it, bitch. Tell me how much you love this. Tell me how much you fucking love it. You fucking liar. Anyway... Point being, this is very good because <laughs> it has it citrus really in it. Yeah, <laughs> I like the citrus. All right. So now that I've kind of prefaced everything with our beer and just this guy wasn't well known, but he really should have been because he has a really prolific impact on the music world. Yes. He's like undercover impact guy. He is. He has a lot of friends in the music community. I should point out, though, a little, head, little warning at the head of this. He was a complicated person that lived that stereotypical rock star life, no matter how obscure he was. So there's going to be some parts in here that has made him, uh, he's got some things hmm. that you're going to be like, ooh, don't do that though. As in like, you shouldn't say that? Or as in, you probably shouldn't have done that? That, the second one. Okay. As in... There were times in his life where he wasn't a great person. Let's leave it at that. Towards others? Or yes. towards himself? Towards others, mostly. Okay. And by others, I mean the women in his life. Gotcha. Yeah. So heads up, guys. I mean... Buckle up. There are some parts that are rough. <laughs> is um, he at least... I'm sorry. It's a white boy in the 60s and 70s, and he wasn't great to his women. Oh, oh. I don't know if that's going to catch you off guard. Oh, fireworks. <laughs> Tell me about it. No um, way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but is he going to be another one that's molested? Because I don't know if I can handle that. 
I don't think so. Okay, good. There's nothing that I read that he was molested. None of the subjects in this story have been molested. Okay, good. So we got that going for us. Which at is at nice. least there's that. There's that. All right, there's that. Alrighty, let's deep dive into this shit. Born in 1947 in Chicago to parents William and Beverly, Warren would never know a simple childhood. His father's name was originally William Zivotovsky. He was a Jewish man from Russia and found work running dice games and taking bets for Russian mobster Mickey Cohen. Wow. Mm -hmm. Already off to a run and start. Yeah. Already going to be a crazy life for this kid. Yep. And while Beverly wanted to live the classic family life, you know, house, yard, kids, William couldn't concede to that. Therefore, Warren spent much of his childhood going back and forth between his parents, who would go back and forth from splitting up and getting back together. Which is always great for the psyche of your child. Oh, it's you know what? If there's anything you should do for your child, it's that. <laughs> <laughs> At nine years old, Warren's father surprised him with a piano for Christmas. If you're wondering... Why a piano? That was because he won it in a poker tournament the night before. Oh. Beverly was having none of that and demanded he take it out of the house. However, William was dead set on his son learning piano. To drive this point home, he took a knife from the butcher block and threw it at his baby mama's head, narrowly missing her. So the piano stayed. I mean, it's one way to get your point across. Your point across? Get it? But um, but um, domestic violence is hilarious. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Guys, if we don't laugh, we cry. In junior high, Warren's parents decided to give it another go, and they moved out to California. There, his music teacher was so impressed with him that he brought Warren to the home of Igor Stravinsky to study composition alongside Robert Kraft. He only went a handful of times, but the experience made a lasting impression and helped to cultivate the talent that made him a truly adept musician. Wow. Yeah, he really understood classical music and composition because of these times with Stravinsky. Which is a pretty different background than most rock stars from the 70s era really have. Yeah. Usually it's just like, I'm a wayward child with nothing to lose, so I'm going to learn guitar or drums or whatever. This kid had a weird bringing up because his dad was in the mob however they had enough money to get him music lessons but he was still a weirdo because then he (laughs) learned classical there's a lot going on here he's an interesting stew of a person yeah takes a lot to make a stew yeah they should have named him stew and again his parents split and warren was bouncing back and forth between homes But when his mother met a new man that eventually became his asshole stepdad, he also discovered the beauty of numbing yourself with the alcohol the asshole constantly left stocked in the house. There it is. So in high school, he's kind of already an alcoholic. There's the, that perfect combination of asshole stepdad. Yeah, like step one, tumultuous parenting. Step Step two, two, alcohol in the house. (laughs) Step three, asshole stepdad. Put them all together. There you go. Step four, music? Profits. Step four, profits. <laughs> in high school, he started a band with one of his classmates, Violent Centangelo. And I like saying last names really weird. Because Wait, what is that person's name? Violent Centangelo. His first name is Violent? Her name is Violet. 
Violets. Okay, Violet. I thought you were saying violence, and I'm I like, mean, that is a terrible name for a child. Fr- unless Freudian, they're like Freudian the slip. Unless they're like the Antichrist, and somehow oh you know God. that. Maybe. You know, now that I think about it, violence, kind of a pretty name. Yeah. Violence. There you go. You know, don't name your kid violence, guys. This is why I don't have children. I was going to say, don't ever listen to us on kids because we <laughs> will never have them. So. And we are terrible advice givers when it comes to Oof. kids. You Dogs? Animals? We got you. Fine. Oh, We're yeah. great. Kids? kids? No. Woof. They call themselves Lyme and Sabelle. And started off with covers of Beatles songs, but quickly began to make their own music. And they were friends with child actor Michael Burns, whose mother worked at White Whale Records. White Whale Records. That's really hard to say. Yeah. Both were impressed with Warren and Violet's sound and helped to get them a small deal at the record company where they recorded three singles. So they're in high school just doing this. And Warren truly embodies the personality he takes on. So for this group, he decided to call himself Stephen Lime because Lime and Sabelle. So he was Stephen Lime. Okay. Anyway, it's funny. It worked. <laughs> Their record with White Whale gained them notoriety with bands like the Beach Boys and the Turtles, and the latter would end up singing his songs like the Seasons and Outside Chance. Is White Whale a Moby Dick reference? I I hope so. Right. I, I would imagine so. Okay. I mean, if it's not, then what? What is it? My dick? Like, what is it a reference to? Both. My dick is Moby Dick. (laughs) Very quickly, Warren took to these rock stars and their penchant for substances. Hmm. Lyme and Sabelle were not built to last, and they eventually split. Some say it was because Warren was becoming more particular about how his art was created, but the more believable reason is that Violet left because of all the drinking and how Warren acted around his cool new friends. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it was that one. Many have told stories about Warren being a really sweet, genuine, shy friend in a one-on-one situation. But once a group of big-time musicians came around, he was just way too cool, and that person he was just confiding in would turn into the butt of all of his jokes. He sounds like somebody I would not enjoy being around. Yeah, because he, you would love it when you're just hanging out, but then he makes you look like an asshole when you're around other people yeah. and you're like, this isn't fun for me. He seems like, at this point, the kind of person who have you ever been in a situation where you know a person really well and you know that they're a terrible person, but <laughs> yes. everybody else fucking loves them and yes. you're, you're like the one person in the party screaming like, no, no, this person is awful. Why are you all so obsessed with them? But you know what's really satisfying is when everybody else realizes it and you're like, oh, I fucking told you so. I fucking told you, bitches. Told you so. You all thought I was the asshole. Guess what? <laughs> fucking told you so. Yeah. Who's sorry now, bitch? Yeah. I'm not. From there, Warren dabbled in some commercial jingles, but managed to make another small break when his song She Quit Me was featured in the film Midnight Cowboy. He also dropped the name Stephen Lime and began to introduce himself as Sandy Zavon. Sandy Zavon. Zavon. Not Zevon, which is why ah. it's okay that he used to call him Warren Zavon. <laughs> and I think Zavon just sounds fancier. It was only a matter of time before he caught the attention of record producer and all-around weird 60s cult figure Kim Foley, who helped him produce his first solo album, Wanted, Dead or Alive, through Liberty Records. Also the name of a wonderful Bon Jovi song. Yeah, the only good Bon Jovi song. 
wanted dead or alive (laughs) as will become a pattern in his life warren wasn't the easiest dude to work with kim discovered this firsthand and walked away from the project before it was finished it's hard to say if he if he stayed if it would have done better but nonetheless his first solo album came out to quote the sound of one hand clapping, as Zivon said himself. Aww. Yeah. And apparently, Kim Foley said in the book, which I should have referenced this at the beginning, my main source material is the book I'll Sleep When I'm Dead, The Dirty Times, excuse me, The Dirty Life and Times of Warren Zevon by his ex-wife, Crystal Zevon. Basically, it's actually a great book. It's really easy to read through, even though it's very long, but it's fascinating stories. And it's almost an interview mode where she just talks to the people in Warren's life and everybody tells different stories. first-hand accounts. Yeah. Well, Kim tells his account of leaving Warren and basically saying, Warren was deathly afraid of catching the clap. So I walked in (laughs) one day and told him I got the clap and I left and I I just didn't, (laughs) didn't look back. Oh, so it's funny because I I know exactly what kind of guy he is. Oh my, like, wait, Warren or Kim? Warren. Oh my god, I know exactly what kind of. So like, this is very easy for me to like imagine in oh, my you're, head. You're very. I had a hard I, time. I know people like this. One hundred percent. You're just. <laughs> You just see the good in everybody. I see the worst in everybody. So I know exactly what this guy is. Together we make the perfect person. Do we? <laughs> or the worst. Or the most bipolar. The most bipolar. Yes, there we go. We are, together we are one bipolar person. Yes. And I'm okay with that. Grossly misdiagnosing bipolar disorder. Oh yeah, no. Very <laughs> sorry to anyone who is dealing with bipolar disorder. And we do not mean to... You know, if it helps, I just like a joke. Literally spilled beer all over myself. She did. You know what? That's trying to talk. Karma. Yeah, exactly. So your anger is justified and paid for. The world already got me back. (laughs) While all this was going on, Warren's love life was getting serious. So a couple years prior, he had met a lovely woman named Marilyn at a party in San Francisco. Imagine his surprise when he went joyriding in his brand new white Jaguar and ran into a hitchhiker that was the same like, woman. Literally he became... ran into <laughs> Yes, he just hit her with his car. No, he <laughs> he was picking up a hitchhiker and it happened to be Marilyn. Oh. Yeah. Fate. Yeah, it was fate. There you go. Small world. Marilyn was more often referred to as Tool. Oh. T-U-L-E. Oh, okay. Like Tool, like the fabric. That's with two L's. But okay, got it. Maybe they were trying for it and spelled it wrong. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I had a friend in high school. Named Tool. No. Close. His nickname was Podge. P-O-D-G-E. You would think, but he insisted on spelling it P-O-G. P-O-G I was which is Pog. He's <laughs> Pogs. Yeah, Yo, no, no, it's Somebody po- should have walked up and like, they call me Slammer. <laughs> Foley's best friend was named Slammer. Oh my god. Like, why didn't we think of that? Jesus Christ. We're you guys fucked up. You fucked up. Fucking that was my first son fucking of thing. A bitch, we fucked it up. <laughs> god damn it. Well, anyway. So, Marilyn, I'm sorry, Tool and Warren's relationship, uh, it escalated pretty quickly, actually. It was only a matter of time before they were living together, and she was pregnant with Warren's first child, Jordan. Yo, that was quick. That was quick. I mean, I'm, I'm also kind of zipping through it, too, but it was pretty quick. They chose not to get married, and as time would tell, that was probably the better option. By 1970, the Everly brothers were looking for a pianist to go on tour with them. 
and Warren came out of the audition aces. He became the band leader, and through his time touring with the brothers, he truly honed his craft in both music and excessive partying. No, yeah, I'm not surprised. Also part of the tour was guitarist Waddy Wachtel. You have, like, the most ridiculous and hard-to-pronounce things. Yeah, and it's really good, too, because I'm terrible pronouncing names. It might be Waddy, but I think it's Waddy. It's W-A-D-D-Y. Anyway. Sure, whatever. Initially, he and Warren did not care for each other at all. But they would eventually find camaraderie on the tour, and Warren would find an additional bonus of true love. True love? Yes. (laughs) When the tour was done, they were picked up by Waddy's... Waddy? Waddy's girlfriend. (laughs) I... Waddy's girlfriend, Crystal. I know. I'm like, I shouldn't say it while you're drinking. I should have waited. Should have waited. I'm sorry. I just, every time you say it, I want you to continue with like a a lisp. When the tour was done, they were picked up by Waddy's girlfriend, Crystal. On a bicycle. Why on a bicycle? I don't know, because it sounds silly with the- Okay. All right. That's fair. All right. Like your fucking home star runner. Every oh, <laughs> hey, strong bear. <laughs> my friend Wally. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so they're picked up by Crystal, and the minute her eyes locked with Warren's, they were pretty smitten, and it wouldn't be too long before they found themselves out of their old relationships and into this new one. Mm. And anyone would probably attest to a relationship with Warren had its ups and downs during the 70s and 80s. And Crystal would be no exception. When things were good, they were awesome. But when things were bad, they were inexcusable. Hmm. There was a reason I made sure to bring up the tumultuous relationship between Warren's parents. It was so I could use the timeless phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I'm sure it doesn't. It doesn't. Crystal was a very attractive and social woman, and Warren was a very jealous boyfriend. Oh, good. They would regularly get into fights that might involve Warren throwing all the furniture out in the front lawn, or perhaps he would just steal Crystal's car and her take her foster son, Bart, and get into a car accident. Oh. Yeah, that's fun times. You know, aggressive, violent bullshit. That's what you do when you get into an argument. You don't sit down and talk to no. each other like rational human beings and work it you out. You do a complete 180 and you lose your shit. You steal a car and a kid yep. and smash it. Yeah. Logical. After most every outburst, he would leave for an undetermined amount of time. Sometimes it was days. Sometimes it was months. But they always ended up back together because when sober, Warren was a very nice and affectionate guy. The big catalyst here was the alcohol part. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Unfortunately, Warren felt he was more creative and legitimate of an artist when drinking. Even though he attempted sobriety many times in those days, it just wouldn't stick. Probably didn't help that in those days, everyone knew you had an alcohol or drug problem, but if you were considered a genius, no one said a word about it. I mean, I get it, because I'm much funnier when I'm drinking. (laughs) Well, we just lose a lot of our inhibitions, but I think also, too, none of us have thrown things when drunk. But we're also geniuses, so nobody says anything. (laughs) Yes, that's what it is. That's why no one talks about our alcohol problem. Yeah, it's because we're geniuses. It's because we're geniuses. Thank thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. By 1973, Warren and Crystal had gotten married, but Crystal had lost both foster children, Bart and Cindy, to the state courts. 
Now, mind you, thanks, Warren. Cindy also, too. Or I'm sorry, I'm Cindy. sure she had her. Crystal, Crystal actually has a pretty interesting story, and I would love to get into it more. Um, but she had her own shit to deal with, too. Oh, I'm, I'm sure she had her own pro- set of demons, Quite, also. Really quick sidebar. The reason she had foster kids, she was young. She was in her late teens when she ended up having custody of them because the, her, the mother of them died and the father ran out and he she was their babysitter and they just, what? they had nowhere to go. So she took them. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I'm surprised the state was like, yeah, just leave him with the babysitter. 70s? She was already here. 60s? 60s? Take him. Maybe they were like, whatever, it's fine. Wow. Good, somebody will take them. So, I mean, she was barely 20, I think, when they got married. So, I mean, I... and I suppose a maybe, I don't know, I'm making assumptions, but maybe part of the reason why she dealt with everything was because she knew that Warren had money or was going oh, to be... Oh, he did not have money or at she, all. Well, I mean, she could see the potential in him yeah. to at some point have money. Right, because he did at least have connections. Right. So it was... You know, only a matter of time. Granted, how many people say, oh, it's only a matter of time. And well, then yeah. time never comes. So, yep. Yeah. It's, but it, it, what the fuck else was she going to do? Yeah. And she was young and you just have a different mindset at that age, which right. is fair. Um, Another kind of loss at the time was the Everly brothers had broken up and they were going on their own solo tours. But they both appreciated Warren's work. So he ended up touring with both of them. And he could really use the cash monies, because like I said, he was broke as fuck, so... Right. And he had a family. Well, he had Crystal now. Well, oh, and then he did have, you know, his ba- his baby mama and child from previous relationship. Yep. Warren's not great with child support. I'm gonna just throw that out there. I assume most a- alcoholics are not. Yeah. So, While on tour with Don Everly, he may not have played to many people... But Warren did meet the band Buckingham Knicks. Oh shit. Lindsay was playing we... on the tour as well. Every episode we find a way to we connect find shit a way. to fucking Fleetwood Mac. Some way to mention Fleetwood Mac. Oh yeah. I think they have to be my favorite band now. I don't give a shit what you fuckers say. It's I my think, favorite fucking band. I think band. they're a fine band. And I'm glad that they're your favorite. I'm glad Thank you finally you. came to that conclusion. You hear you heard it here first, people. Breaking news in the Rock Candy podcast world. <laughs> Ashley's favorite band is Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> anyway, so Warren and Lindsay ended up playing on the tour together and they became fast friends because alcoholics who hit women are great. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'll hone it in. <laughs> on this tour, Warren wrote a lot of tunes and even got some time to play them during the shows where he received overall positive feedback. Despite the high praise for his music, with its beautifully cynical lyrics and its meticulously crafted composition, and despite the relationships he was developing with other successful musicians like Jackson Brown and Linda Ronstadt, Warren was having absolutely no luck in L.A. And with Tool having full custody of his son Jordan in New York City, being broke as a joke, and not really having much else to stay for, he and Crystal decided the best course of action would be to move to Spain. Okay. Yep. Spain? Sure. It's beautiful. Beautiful place. It is, but what? It took a few days to get acclimated, but once they found a small tavern in Barcelona called the Dubliner Bar, things began to look up. They quickly became friends with the owner, David Lindell, who was a former mercenary who went by the name Lindy. 
It was his stories of running guns that almost immediately inspired lyrics to the hit Rollin' the Headless Thompson Gunner. I wonder if that's anything like finding an Irish pub in America. No, I think it's a lot more legitimate and better. Probably. Yeah. But here it's like... A lot uh, less piece of, a lot less people with Boston accents. <laughs> yeah. Come for me. Not only offering inspiration, Lindy also offered them a means to survive. Warren was given a gig to be a staple performer at the Dubliner and a place to live as well. This stroke of luck would ultimately start him on the road to success. One night, he met a Swiss record manager, George Potter, who wanted to sign Warren to a Spanish recording contract. He and Crystal sent postcards home with the good news and received two in return that would stop them in their tracks. Hmm. One was Jackson Brown, telling Warren not to give up on America so soon that he would get him a recording contract. And the other was from Phil Everly, offering him a job arranging his next solo album in England. So with these offers, and with heavy hearts, they decidedly left Spain for potentially bigger opportunities. feast or famine. Like, they went to Spain because nothing was going on, and then as soon as one person's like, oh, but I can give you this, everyone else is like, wow, pump the brakes. Yeah, that's how it goes. The minute you say, oh, I'm probably going to do this thing that will make it so I can't do this other thing with you, people are like, wait, I don't want the option to leave. Hold on. So while working with Phil in England, they stayed at Benefold, a medieval castle monastery owned by our favorites, Fleetwood Mac. Wait, owned by them? Yeah, they owned a castle. I believe Mick Fleetwood owned a castle. That makes sense. Yeah. I want to stay in that castle. I don't know if he owns it anymore, but I'd still stay in it. After that was finished, they went back to LA to meet with Jackson about the recording contract. The problem was the contract wasn't any kind of guaranteed deal. And to be honest, Jackson didn't think they'd actually leave Spain. (laughs) Yeah. What the fuck, Jackson Brown? Come on, Jackson Brown. You can't say things like that and then just be like, I was kind of kidding. You actually came back. I didn't think you'd do that. I was kind of begging on you staying in another country forever. I just wanted you to think I cared. (laughs) Fuck Jackson (sighs) Brown. Well, he was friends with Warren, but not only that, he did truly believe in him. So he went to David Geffen of Asylum Records at that time, and he convinced him to back the project despite no reassurance that he would make any money on this. First, openly gay record uh, label owner. Proud of you. Ever. Good job, David Geffen. Yeah, I'm sure that would be an interesting story to do. That David Geffen. Ooh. Keep your fucking ears peeled, bitches. Yes. Times continued to be tough for the Zevon household, who were too broke to afford gas, yet were interesting and well-known enough to get invited to elite parties by stars like the Rolling Stones. I just spilled beer on myself twice. During this episode. So you will never be invited to a party with the Rolling Stones is what you're I saying. I don't want to be because I don't like the Rolling Stones. They're fine. Are they? <laughs> I think they're fine. Are they? I like some of their music. If I hear Beast of Burden one more fucking time. Well, that's Pix 106. I will rage. <laughs> I will fucking rage. I don't want to be your Beast of Local Burden. radio stations do not stop playing that song and I am tired of it. In September 1975... Warren was back in the studio again to record his self-titled album. 
The benefit of getting your name out there early is gaining the ability to have a lot of key players willing to contribute to your work. This album saw collaborations with Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, Don Henley, Bonnie Raitt, and a whole bunch more. And Warren had the added bonus of interest from Linda Ronstadt, who recorded his songs Carmelita, Poor Poor Pitiful Me, and a few others to help him gain more notoriety. One of the songs included on this self-titled is Desperados Under the Eaves, dealing with subject matters such as Warren's ever-growing alcohol problem and the harsh lifestyle one must adapt to if they want to even try to make it in L.A. And it features background vocals from Beach Boy Carl Wilson. Hmm. Good job, Carl. The album was his first on-paper success, peaking at only number 189 on the Billboard charts, but critics loved the album and many found Warren Zevon to be a breath of fresh air and enjoyed his rough-around-the-edges personality. I mean, I have to give it to him. He never compromised in who he was. He did not. So that came out in his music. Mm. And a lot of people responded to that. It wasn't, you know, the super primed and glossed over sound. It was, you know, he's he's got issues. He knows he's yeah. got issues. He's going to write about them. Got it. Well, he, he writes about his issues because he, he made a lot of his issues. He, yeah, he did this shit to himself, But it's honestly. crazy because if you don't know this story, you hear his music and you just think like, wow, like... There are so many people who do connect to his songs and Mm -hmm. connect to his music. So in that aspect, it is nice because he can reach out to maybe an audience that doesn't feel like they're noticed. Mm -hmm. So that was nice. And that wasn't the only debut in 76. On August 4th, Warren also saw the birth of his daughter, Ariel. He made a promise to God that if Crystal and the baby made it out okay, he would stop drinking vodka for a month. And he did indeed (laughs) keep that promise. He stopped drinking vodka for a month. But what else did he drink? Bourbon. Beer. He also did drugs. One bourbon. One one scotch. And one beer. One scotch. One scotch. Is it scotch? It's scotch. It's one bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. I always think he's saying one bourbon, one shot, and one beer, but it's scotch. It's a shot That's George Thorogood for all of you. Who don't know I what I'm talking about. I hope you know. My God. At this point, Warren's alcohol. Speaking of which, so at this point, Warren's alcoholism became unbelievably bad, and his personality would wax and wane into extremes. At some parties, he would pull out a gun and laugh as if it was some kind of joke. Even his friends in the industry were starting to wonder how in the world they were going to rein him in. This is why you don't party with Warren. Yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit much. Very reminiscent of Warren from Empire Records, who waltzes into Empire Records brandishing a gun. Oh, I wonder if that's a fucking shout out. <gasps> it could be. I've only seen the movie Empire once, Records but... just got one level deeper. My. My. God. God. His relationship with Crystal became physical, and there were many stories of beatings while he was blackout drunk just for disagreeing with him. But there were also stories of him breaking down and sobbing and trying to make up for it by being the most gentle and sweetest man ever known. Oh, classic abuser. Yeah. And I mean, Crystal also having her own abuse problems. Mm-hmm. She just kept going back. I, of course. It, it, it all, it's all an unfortunate cycle that makes entirely it's, way too much sense it's and very it shouldn't. Classic abuser and classic... Abusey. Uh, abusey. Um, who... Doesn't know how to get out of it. Yeah. 
And I mean, once you are married and have a kid with that person, how do you? Right. And especially back then, there was a stigma, like, that stigma still existed where if you divorce, then you were a failure and it's the worst thing you could possibly do for your kid. And honestly, it's not. Beating your wife was kind of normal back then. That is the worst possible thing you could do for your kid. That is the worst possible thing. That is the worst thing. (laughs) I guess one of the things that really bothers me about the abuse is that everyone saw it and knew about it. Crystal would go to many of their friends when she needed to leave with Ariel and had nowhere else to go. And there were plenty of times they would see his destruction. And while, yeah, they acted as a mediator between the two, they did nothing to stop what was happening. Right. So that that really ground my gear. The night Warren wrote Tenderness on the Block, he had gotten into a fight with Crystal, ripped the banister off the wall. She called Jackson Brown, and when he got there, he took Warren into his studio, and they just kept drinking and wrote the song. That's so some, if that's any example of what her life was like. That's some Axl Rose type shit. It really was. And Axl Rose was, what, 20 years after that? You ripped this banister off. <laughs> Axl, <laughs> I want my ice cream. Where's my ice cream? Fucking ripped this banister off. <laughs> Axl fucking Rose. <sighs> Warren said in order to write about fights and drama, he needed to experience it firsthand. But that meant creating his own self-destructive lifestyle that the people closest to him would end up paying for. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, he wrote these songs, but there was a price. Mm -hmm. He was also nervous about how to make his next record. The last one included songs he worked on for years, so this challenge was really hanging over his head. There's at least one song on that album, though, that we all know was his big mega hit. Mm -hmm. And here it is. Let's talk about uh, ooh, Werewolves of London. <laughs> Great fucking song, though. <laughs> it actually came about as a joke a few years prior, when Warren was talking to Phil Everly about the film from the 1930s, Werewolf of London. They joked about how funny it would be if they turned it into a song and made it some kind of dance craze. When he told his still guitarist, Waddy. <laughs> Waddy? I think it's Waddy. I think it's Waddy. We can agree to disagree. It's like daddy with a, with a W instead of a D. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so when he told him about it, they just started howling and went right to work on it. <laughs> and they worked together on it for a few hours with the lyrics and the music. At the end of it all, Crystal heard it and told the boys what a great song they just wrote. And they all just laughed and told her, well, if you think it's so great, why don't you just write it down? So she did. And now you know that if it wasn't for Crystal, that song wouldn't exist because they promptly forgot about it when she brought it up days later. The best Halloween song on your playlist would have never existed if it weren't for Crystal Zebon. Like, fucking after reading this book and hearing parts of her story and just knowing this story, I'm like, fucking praise Crystal Zevon. Behind- this fucking woman took some shit. And she fucking got you. You're the thing that put you on the fucking map. She's like the origin story of the behind every great man is a great woman or whatever. Saying that is. That's exactly what it is. She basically is the origin story of that phrase. It's fucking. In 1978, he released the album Excitable Boy, whose title track is a song about a sociopath that rapes and murders his prom date, Little Susie, a nod to the tune by his friends, the Everly Brothers, Wake, Wake Up, up Little Susie. Susie. I'm not amused by that. No, but 
That was Warren's style. He was just this... It was. He would write these fucked up, weird, very But it makes me wonder, songs. like, if something in his life was just slightly different, would he be doing these things instead of writing the songs about them? I don't know. Like, if his childhood was just slightly more fucked up? Or slightly or, less fucked up? I, I don't know. Like, who just writes about that? That's kind of weird. I mean, I, I, I get... I, I'm going to say it, and I don't like saying it, but don't come for me. It was the 70s. <laughs> and people thought stuff like that is funny. Yeah. Genuinely, they did. Yeah. Dark like, humor in yeah, the 70s. Yeah, like, talk about raping and killing a woman and then bringing her corpse home after the murder. Yeah. Like... It was supposed to be this... T- I mean, but it is true- supposed to be this tongue-in-cheek thing, but, like, it doesn't fly now. But, but also, back then it did. In the 70s, there was, like, a serious rash of serial killers going mm-hmm. on. That was, like, the heyday of serial killers. And that's when we started really getting infatuated with it. So a song like right. this, somebody would be like, oh, my God. So I, I To mean, be honest, I kind of, like, Excitable Boy has a really good yeah. rhythm and beat to so it. So I too. guess maybe, like, he could have just ripped it from the headlines. Yep. Easily easily yeah yeah all right i'm I'm not gonna judge you too hard then fine okay i got it it's a different time i like true crime too yeah i get it he wrote a true crime song (laughs) basically all right you know what turn it around on this all right true crime song that's how i'm gonna look at it giving you the benefit of the doubt podcast we listen to yeah all of them are true crime yeah so you know what excitable boy gets a pass yep got it yep we're there now this album was even better than the last and reached number eight on the Billboard charts with Werewolves peaking at 21. It only peaked at 21? Right? Wow. Right? It must be... It recharted back in the 80s when it was used, fuck, on a film with Tom Cruise in it. Like, re- a Scorsese film with Tom Cruise in it. In what decade? In the 80s. You know what? Film film peeps come at me. I don't remember. I don't I'm know. I'm sorry. But as with Warren himself, I feel like... Werewolves of London also has a cult fla- fa- pl- following. Yes. Um, he's one of those very prolific musicians that not a lot of people know about. Right. But just like a cult movie has a lot of fans, but there's a majority of people that don't know about it. He has a lot of fans, but a majority of the music fandom doesn't know yeah. who he is. So Exactly. Okay. It's just yeah. like that. Of course, following the release of the album, there's the tour that included the debauchery as well as Warren distancing himself from old band members, co-writers, and his producer, Jackson Brown. Some think he was afraid that if he stuck around these people who helped him write the songs, that he would be thought of as unauthentic. So he decided to look for a change and kind of got rid of a lot of the people that he had been working with for a very long time. Also on tour, Warren met and performed with other legends like Bruce Springsteen and the Grateful Dead. There's one really funny story in the book where they talk about how he went on a tour bus with the Grateful Dead and Bob Marley and they're all just smoking pot, which just this, sounds like a fever dream. This is this is not an unbelievable thing. Exactly. I'm this like, is an incredibly believable thing. Yeah, like this 100% happened. But like also a dream, like some like pothead teenager's wet dream it's like a black light poster 
It's like all the black light posters in mixed your room into mixed what? into one. Because it's got the wolf, and it's got the Bob Marley, and it's got the dancing bear. It's got three wolf moon. Yes. Has the dancing bears. Yes. And it has and Bob also- Marley with a guitar singing, holding the joint. Yep. Because every black light poster has one of those three things. Yes. And every- there's, you know, toss a wizard on there in the background just for good Some measure. Lord of the Rings, like, uh, black light poster. Oh, my God. Or, like, the caterpillar on a mushroom from Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. The caterpillar has to be in there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Guys, we just designed the best fucking black light poster. <laughs> do they still sell those? Oh, yes, they do. I want to get a black light poster. Oh, now. whatever, like, whatever <laughs> store in the mall that is, like, the no-name store. That has all the dream catchers in yes. the window and has all of like the, the wolf statues and yep. also a case full of pewter dragon statues. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> That's where you can find them. <laughs> oh god, we have to go to there. Unfortunately, though, Warren's performances frequently suffered from his extremely alcoholic ways, and some nights he had to actually be escorted onto stage or else he couldn't get there. <laughs> he was very drunk. He's, but he could still perform. Uh, debatable. Okay. Debatable. His drinking wasn't the only thing escalating. It was also his interesting guns. Oh, because those go great together. You know what goes great? Your alcoholism and your gun collection. You know what goes great with this thing that makes you volatile to begin with? Weapons. Yep. He began buying lots of guns and would shoot them off in the house, usually at cockroaches or other vermin. Oh, well, what people are you- would, There are stories of people who said, I saw a bunch of bullet holes in the bathroom floor, and Warren would say, oh, I saw a cockroach. Okay. Probably saw a cockroach, because you might have been going through a five-minute withdrawal from your fucking alcoholism. Or you were whatever. just hallucinating. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I'm just picturing him sitting on a toilet with a gun. <laughs> Why did you bring the gun to you when you're taking a shit? Why? Because hold up, hold up. We didn't have cell phones back then, so you had to bring your gun so you could look at something while you're taking a shit. (laughs) They had magazines. Reader's Digest existed. But a gun is like a phone. Just don't. No, no. I'm not buying this. This is not right. I tried. Don't bring your gun to the shitter with you. Don't bring your gun to the toilet, guys. That's, it's not necessary. Don't do it. (laughs) But one night, everything truly became too much to ignore when Crystal was awoken by three gunshots. She found Warren in the guest house with a forty-four Magnum in his hand, and across from him was a copy of the Excitable Boy record with three bullet holes in his face. When Crystal came into the room, Warren turned to her with a wry smile and said, It's funny. I shot myself. She took the gun from him and told him this time it wasn't funny. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, you're like, yeah, no, this isn't funny. You have a problem and we need to go. So he was checked into the Pinecrest Rehabilitation Center, where he spent about a month getting treated. And his close friends and family had even an intervention with him to explain how his behavior was bringing them down with him. And while it initially seemed like he was ready to start a new leaf... It should come as no surprise that he was drinking again soon after. Oh, big surprise. Unfortunately. It wasn't much later after that Warren and Crystal's marriage was finally over. And with one of Warren's mildest outbursts to boot, they were together alone having a good time when Warren's mood did a total 180. He threw a mug at her, 
calling her the devil and telling her to leave and never come back. So she didn't. Well, good for her. On February 15th, 1980, Warren saw the release of his fourth album, Bad Luck Streak in Dancing School. And while it did fairly well, reaching number 20 on the Billboard chart, it didn't beat out its predecessor. The album contains a collaboration with the boss called Jeannie Needs a Shooter, and another with Linda Ronstant called Empty Handed Heart, about his breakup with Crystal. Mm-hmm. In 82, Warren released The Envoy, and while it was praised for being a return to form, it didn't do well at all commercially. And this was a bit too much for the Asylum Records, so they decided to drop him from the label. Something that wasn't told to him in person, but he read it in the random notes section of the Rolling Stone magazine. What? Yeah. Apparently they didn't actually go up and say, hey, we're dropping you. They're like, we're going to tell Rolling Stone, and he's going to flip through a magazine and be like, huh. Fucking Rolling Stone is more important than you. Hmm. That's sad. Mm. I don't know about that. The Rolling Stone. Oh, it, that's what I mean. It totally is not more important than Warren Zevon, but they let they just let people believe that. They do though. Here Warren became the most discouraged he'd ever been. No wife, no recording contract, and feeling overall drained creatively. So he moved in with a female DJ in Philadelphia that he was dating, and the drinking and drugs were taking a toll on him physically, and just his life was a fucking mess. Yeah. Total. Yep. He was very lucky to have caught the eye of Andy Slater from Frontline Management, who believed in his music and decided to manage him, much to Warren's drunken ire. He didn't care <laughs> for him at all at first and didn't want to do anything he said, but he had no choice. Well, drunk, so. Yeah, he was... Really curmudgeon at this point with his alcoholism. He was a real Axl Rose. I, w- I wouldn't put him that bad. <laughs> I, even I, I wouldn't put him that bad. Maybe if you just gave him ice cream, he'd be all right. I think he just needed to get sober. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Andy hooked him up with a friend from college named Peter Buck, who was a guitarist in his own band called R.E.M. Mm-hmm. So Warren went down to Atlanta and cut a demo with them. And while it was very impressive work, the substance abuse was just a fucking glaring problem that no one could just fucking ignore anymore. Did Peter Buck, like, not know about it? And then when Warren came down, he was just like, oh, Oh, no, no, I have no idea. Actually, nobody says anything about that in the book. (laughs) No, nobody briefed me. Nobody told me this guy's a fucking mess. (laughs) What? Meanwhile, what's his name? Michael... Michael Stapp? Stipe. Stipe? Michael Stapes, like, shiny happy people? <laughs> oh, you're very drunk, sir. Please stop throwing bottles at me. <laughs> I actually don't know shit about R.E.M. Michael I know, like, three of their songs, and I know Michael Stipe is bald, and that is the extent <laughs> of my R.E.M. knowledge. Well, Michael Stipe was very shy and very soft-spoken. I could so, see that. Um, he had stage fright to the extreme. I could see that. Um, but still got himself out there. And I know he was very good friends with Kurt Cobain and he was very devastated when he died. Oh. So, yeah. Is that why he wrote the song Everybody Hurts? I don't know. Did, didn't, I don't know when Everybody Hurts came out. I, I feel either. like it was before I feel like it Kurt was died. too. He but, might have written that for Warren then. He could have. Because shit. <laughs> Man, like, Warren was bad at this point. 
Um, he was just a mess. There's stories in the book about Crystal bringing Ariel to him and the while he was living with the DJ in Philadelphia and him basically just ignoring her all day. And she's still a kid at this point and very impressionable. So yeah. I'm sure she didn't get a very good impression of her dad. Both Ariel and Jordan, obviously. As adults, they ended up developing a great relationship with their dad. But when they were kids, there was a lot of shit that went down that really formed them as people. I'm sure. And and they had a hard time dealing with the fact that their dad would go from like, I love you. Oh, my God, this is great. To I don't want anything to do with you. Because that's kind of what Warren did. And that's extremely confusing for children. Yeah. At least adults, you can be like. I have elected to not deal with this bullshit anymore. Kids don't have that luxury. And adults can either understand it or say, well, fuck you. I'm not talking to you anymore. Yeah. Or just both. Whatever. I don't know. You do you. (laughs) Well, all right. So he has made several attempts to to get clean at rehab at this point. But most of the time he wouldn't stay long enough for any treatments to take. So it didn't fucking matter. Mm -hmm. He began going to AA... And sobriety seemed to be taking on this time. He did relapse, but finally, by March 1986, Warren Zevon took this treatment seriously, got a sponsor, and stayed sober for 17 years. How old was he at this point? Fuck. Math. When was he born? 47. So 47, and that was 86? Oh. So he would have been 39. 39. (laughs) Math! I feel like we should have a podcast called We're Bad at Math. Yeah. Where we try to do math problems. We just do dates and shit. Yeah. And we're like, I don't know. I mean, this, I don't know if, there's got to be an audience for that who really gets off on hearing people fuck up math problems. In 1987, he was signed to Virgin Records and made his next album, Sentimental Hygiene. It came out to critical success, per usual, and included songs with other famed rockers, per usual. Like a harmonica solo by Bob Dylan on The Factory. I feel like he was the original gangster rap kind of guy. OG. The OG OG. OG OG. OGG. The OGG. Yes. Yeah, you know me. Yeah, you down with OGG? You know Warren Z. (laughs) Guys, we can do this. Oh, we're rappers. Oh my God. No, we're not. Um, (laughs) But like every album is... One one song after another is just a collaboration Yeah, with a bunch that, of different people that he had connections with. That was definitely one of Warren's strengths is that he could really find inspiration in others and worked really creatively worked well with others. Yeah. When it came to the actual business part of making a record, he he was just hard to rein in. Mm-hmm. But if it was a free for all night with some friends jamming, he was great. And that was really to his benefit. The song Reconsider Me really seemed to open up a vulnerable side of Warren, and so many had liked it that it was pitched to a bunch of other artists as well. One of them being Stevie Nicks, who had recorded it, but it wasn't released until a collection that came out in 98. So you can find different versions of Reconsider Me by different artists. I think even Fiona Apple recorded a version of it. Hmm. So it's, it's one of his more popular to be covered by other musicians. It was on tour for the new album that people realized that just because he was sober didn't mean Warren Warren wasn't without his natural demons. (laughs) As in he was an asshole? I I don't want to say asshole. He had a pretty bad case of OCD. 
He had to do things a certain number of times. He had to buy items that he deemed quote-unquote lucky. And he replaced his alcohol addiction with not only a food addiction, but an addiction to sex as well. Which really, I think he's always had the addiction to sex. That was there irregardless. Yeah. He was that fucking guy who could go on tour and sleep with whoever he wanted because it didn't mean anything. But if his woman even looked at another man, you're a fucking bitch, you're evil, what are you doing? That fucking guy. I fucking hate that guy. Like, I really respect Warren Zevon, Peril, like, at the same time, I fucking hate guys that fucking do that. You are not special because you have a dick. There is a separation, I think, between respecting Warren Zevon as an artist and musician mm-hmm. and respecting Warren Zevon as a person. The respecting e- Warren Zevon as a person does not exist. <laughs> it's very like, difficult. It is extremely difficult. It's so hard because, like, man, just when I'm about to like you, you do some fucking bullshit. Yeah. Come and on. That's, that's really fucking shitty. You can't do that. You can't. That is... I'm sorry, that's but not allowed. Like every girlfriend would tell would tell the story of, yeah, Warren would go on tour, and I know he'd sleep with this radio DJ, or he'd sleep with the the radio DJ he he ended up living with. He cheated on Crystal with her a bunch of times, um, but there would be like DJs, fucking editors, random women, just all these people that he would just sleep with because well, it doesn't mean anything. So, like, guys, PSA. It means something to us, so don't fucking do it. <laughs> and unless you have a predetermined agreement that an open relationship is in the in the books, right. unless you are specifically in an open relationship, like you say, your woman can sleep with someone, you can sleep with someone. Unless there's something like that, it fucking means something. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it means something. You it's don't bullshit. you don't do that. If you feel like you have to hide it. It means something. Yeah. <laughs> also, one of his weird OCDs was apparently collecting gray Calvin Klein t-shirts that were all pretty much the same exact design and just hoarding them. Was he like living in a cartoon where he just wore the same thing every single day? I don't know if day? he even wore them that much. I think he just liked buying them and collecting them. But they had to be Calvin Klein. Gray Calvin Klein t-shirts. I mean, I guess this is like the height of Calvin Klein-age. I guess. Good for you, Calvin Klein. You should thank Warren Zevon. <laughs> Buying all your fucking gray t-shirts. Your empire is built on Warren Zevon's gray t-shirts. <laughs> In 1989, the album Traverse City was released. It's a concept album that is based in the world of cyberpunk science fiction as written by author William Gibson. Despite its ambitious content and usual list of big-name guests, it didn't do too hot, because let's be honest, cyberpunk concept albums don't do well. See Billy Idol. (laughs) Cyberpunk concept album? That doesn't even make sense. There were a few people who thought they could do cyberpunk albums. I didn't even know that that was a genre of music. When the internet was starting to become a little whisper in the winds on our computers. Uh Uh-huh. There was a genre called cyberpunk. It was very dystopian, very well, I knew internet's th- going to rule us. And a lot of musicians thought, I'm going to write a concept album about this. I, I, I knew that cyberpunk was like an offshoot of the goth aesthetic. Kind of. But I did not realize that that was a genre of music. It shouldn't have been. 
It wasn't no. meant to be. I I just <laughs> thought that they listened to like shitty techno. Kind of. Is that what cyberpunk music is? Just not shitty for techno. War- not for Warren Zevon, but for Billy Idol, yes. <laughs> Well, it may not surprise you to hear that Warren was subsequently dropped from Virgin Records. Well, you do a cyberpunk album, you get dropped from life, basically. I'm sorry. It's It's true, though. Fortunately, he was almost immediately picked up by Giant Records, where he would record three more albums, Mr. Bad Example, Learning to Flinch, and Mutineer. And even though critics loved his work, he was slowly losing his fan base, Shows were being moved to smaller venues, and the crowds just weren't what they used to be. Except he had one notable big-time fan in David Letterman. Paul Schaefer had contacted Warren to be a part of the band on Dave's sixth anniversary show. This this story is just not going where I thought it was going to go. It's so fucking weird, this right? It's so weird. It's so fucking weird, right? I am so weirded just out. Just when you think, like, I've got you by the hand and I'm taking you one place. And then like, okay, like, we're going down here and instead. Then you're, then you're like, David Letterman. And I'm like, what? What? No, what? David Letterman, huge time fan. His sixth anniversary show's coming up. Paul Schaefer's like, yo, let me get Warren Zevon up in here. Warren Zevon's like, sure, that sounds fucking awesome. Okay. And from there began a relationship that would last until death. While music was still his number one focus during the 90s, Warren actually began to branch out and dabble in different projects. One of the um, more interesting <laughs> was being a music coordinator and occasional guitarist for the rock group Rock Bottom Remainders. For those of you not in the know, this is a rotating collection of authors who got together to perform music and includes writers such as Stephen King, Dave Barry, Amy Tan, Matt Groening, and many others. Oh my God. And just when you were like David Letterman, I'm like, but hold on, there's more. Uh, <laughs> it's just like a band full of the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Kinda. And Stephen King. <laughs> and Stephen King. Guys, I wrote this song and about Stephen children from having the an Simpsons. orgy. <laughs> and Stephen King from The Simpsons. There you go. It's just a Simpsons. It sounds Simpsons. like something that should be in The Simpsons. Yeah. 100%. Why was it not in The Simpsons? 30 years of The Simpsons and they haven't done this? I haven't watched The Simpsons in like 15 years, so I have no idea what I they've done. Warren also appeared in comedy shows like The Larry Sanders Show and Suddenly Susan. What? Right? He was on Suddenly Susan. I oh loved that show. Oh Was me. that the one with Brooke, Brooke Shields? Shields? Okay. Wow. And that guy, was that, I think it was the guy that was in The Breakfast Club, right? Judd Nelson. Wasn't it Judd Nelson? I'm pretty sure it I'm was. I'm pretty sure it was Judd Nelson. <laughs> yeah, it was Judd Nelson. <laughs> and I'm done. And I'm out. I can't do this anymore. You officially can't. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, all right. He had weird nostrils. That's all I can remember. And like, <laughs> interestingly quaffed hair. Um, yeah, always. always. Even in the Breakfast Club. Yeah. But he was the hot one in the Breakfast Club. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, like, your choices were Nerdy Boy. Anthony Michael Hall. That's it. Emilio Estevez, Estevez or Chud Nelson. Nelson. You're going to pick the dude wearing a, a flannel shirt around now, his Now, you know what? I'm going with Dandruff Girl. Uh, yeah. She knows she's into some freaky shit. Yeah. I'm here for it. She is like 
the breakfast club goth i i'm here for that i'm here for that and in addition to all of those other things warren would also fill in for paul schaefer on letterman from time to time because again Hmm. friendship he also made friends with actor billy bob thornton over their shared OCD problem. You're fucking with me now. I'm not. Oh my god. You're fucking. No, with I'm me. not. They were. Wait, friends. their shared interests over what? OCD. Not interests. Their shared problems in <laughs> their OCD. Their shared interests in OCD. No. <laughs> By interest, I mean Billy Bob Thornton tells the story as like he has to like. He's I might, a I might, weird fucking. He's a weirdo. weird fucking weirdo. In the late '80s, I guess they lived in the same apartment complex. And I might be fucking up the story because I, you know, I only read it once and I don't retain information well. He was getting his mail and he said something about he has to, like, put it in and out of his box a certain number of times before he can pull it out. And Warren Zevon was and Warren just there. Zivon walked like, down. Oh, he's like, you oh, got the OCD? Yes. I got it too. No, that is exactly what happened is Warren went down. I was like, oh, you got that too. <laughs> yeah. I'm not fucking with you. These are real stories that I have been told. I am beginning to think Warren Zevon is not a real person. He this might is, not be. Oh my god, made new up. conspiracy theory. Warren Zevon, Warren not Zivon a real person. is a conspiracy theory. Let's develop that. Sell to flat earthers. This book is wrong. Crystal is actually Warren. She's just been playing him this whole time. My god. The kids never existed. This is, this, this is all... A conspiracy theory. What percentage are these alcohols we've been drinking? <laughs> well, this one is eight. And the other one was eight. Oh. Ooh, ooh. Well, there we go. There we go. This is how conspiracy theories start. Alcohol. Alcohol. Also, that was why Warren was a douchebag. <laughs> See, we're funny when we drink. Yeah, we haven't Warren's thrown anything a douchebag yet. <laughs> yet. We haven't yet. thrown anything yet. Yet. Unfortunately... Warren ended up label-less again when Giant Records went out of business. It would be a few years, but eventually he ended up on Artemis Records and released Life Will Kill Ya, which only reached 173 on the charts, but it was still a favorite among critics. It's still charted. The album included the song My Shit's Fucked Up, about going to the, about going to the doctor, you. right? <laughs> and being told you're getting old, your body's shutting down. And this song would be eerily poignant for him soon. It was no secret that Warren did not care for doctors, and in fact, by the time he went to see one in 2002, it had been somewhere around 20 years since his last appointment. I feel you on that. I haven't been to a doctor. Maybe you're Warren Zevon. In a long time. Maybe I am. But with dizzy spells and a chronic cough, he knew something was wrong. Because per usual, when something's wrong, you know it. He was diagnosed with pleural mesothelioma. You know how I know how to say that? Because commercials. (laughs) But it's plural. So it's, can't you just say mesotheliomas? If you have mesothelioma, you should call a lawyer. 188-LAWYER. <laughs> anyway, all right. So mesothelioma is actually a cancer found in the lungs caused by exposure to asbestos. With this news, Warren took the opportunity to jump off the wagon and drink again. I, I mean, I kind of give it to him. I was like, it, it was not a great diagnosis. I mean, if I'm going to be diagnosed with terminal cancer, then I'm going to be like, yeah, kind of whatever time I got left. I don't, I don't fuck know. It. I mean, no, it really hurt his family and friends that he did it. And I feel for them and I'm sorry. But at the same time, you know what? Let him have it. Did he know that he was going to die? Oh, at this point, it was terminal. Oh, yes. Super terminal. So, yeah, at this point, I'm going to be fucking selfish. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I... And then, so he had a good 17-year run. 
Right. Which is, you know what? Which is kind of awesome. Right. And considering how bad it was before. Right. But I mean, if I'm diagnosed with terminal cancer, I know I'm going to die. Yeah. Any day that I have where I can stand upright and go to the bar and fucking drink and go home and do whatever, I'm going to fucking do it. Because that's, that's it. <clears throat> if that's, that's what it. I love, that's what I want to do. I'm going to fucking do it. Die doing what you love. Exactly. Drinking at the bar. Exactly. I'm fine with that. <laughs> so treatment was offered, but Warren was determined to make music until the very end. And he was afraid that it could get in the way of his ability to do so. So he went without treatment for the rest of his life. Some fans thought this was a brave decision on his part, but Warren quickly knocked that notion, saying, quote, it's a sin not to want to live. He was making this decision for himself and himself only, but would probably be the first to tell somebody in a similar situation that they should treat it. He didn't want people to take his example. He just knew what was best for him. Right. Everybody he has wasn't the, trying to prove a fucking point. Everybody has the right to choose however they want to do it. Yeah. If you have this level of a disease that you're not going to get through and you don't want want treatment for it, that's fine. Yeah, If you want to try and fight and you want to try and get over it, more power to you. But sometimes that makes it more, it's sometimes it's more harmful to have to go through the chemo and the radiation and all that shit to try and get through it. Right. If it's that bad. And, you know, he had a very particular case of if I do this treatment, it might make it so I can't get out of bed and I need to get out of bed so I can finish this album. And if he really wanted to finish the album, then yeah. that's really important to him. Exactly. So, so, yeah, let him have it, guys. Immediately, he went to work on his final album, The Wind, which features collaborations with the likes of Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, Emmylou Harris, Billy Bob Thornton. Okay. <laughs> and a reunion with Jackson Brown. During its creation, VH1 was given permission to document it for the film Inside Out, Warren Zevon, which I watched, and it will prove to you that Warren Zevon and Billy Bob Thornton are friends. I just don't get it. It's weird. It's really weird. But it's, it's, the the Warren Z, even though he was drinking at this point, the Warren Zevon you see in this film, and maybe that's just the way to edit it or whatever, he, I don't know, he just seems like this old guy who's like, I'm just going to do the best I can with my last few days, Mm -hmm. which is admirable. And he did come out and say, you know, I don't think that you shouldn't do treatment for a purpose. Like, you shouldn't do it to just to prove to somebody. And, you know, they talk about his friendship with David Letterman and just all the work that went into some of his songs. Um, Like, Keep Me in Your Heart is actually pretty fucking touching. And, like, they talk about his relationship with his kids. And it is a really sweet documentary. You can get it on YouTube. I highly suggest it. It's barely an hour. Mm-hmm. So you should watch it. Another special event just for Warren was an entire Letterman show with him as the guest, where they spent the whole night chatting about his life and illness, and he played several songs as well. This was the night of the notorious, quote, enjoy every sandwich statement. Yes. And yeah, basically, I think, what was it, Letterman said something along the lines of, you know, what is being sick taught you, and Warren Mm -hmm. just says, I enjoy every sandwich. Yeah. Because you don't know how many sandwiches you got left, guys. And sandwiches are really good. Fucking, I got stuff to to make sandwiches for the rest of the week for lunch, and I'm really excited about it. But subs? Oh, God. Get some of that good cheese. What I wouldn't give for a really good 
sub, Some which is bread. decidedly hard to find, even in New York. Yeah. Subway does not count. Subway can it's garbage. Burn. burn. It can suck it. It can go the way of an Applebee's. Yes. We're going to burn them down. Burn them all down. Burn them all down. The next time an Applebee's is on fire, we are going to go Seth Rollins on that shit. Burn it down. All right. I'm here for it. All right. (laughs) So, like I was saying earlier about the diagnosis, he wasn't even given a year to live. That's how advanced his cancer was. And on top of that, he was back into drinking heavily. So you're like, oh, no, he's not going to make it. You would assume he's going to go pretty fast. I mean, if his liver doesn't quit on him before then. His lungs might. Jesus. However, he lived for nearly an entire year. This was enough time to finish and release his album, The Wind, in August 2003 and see the birth of his twin grandsons via his daughter, Ariel, in June 2003. Hmm. Even though divorced back in the 80s, Warren and Crystal kept a close relationship. He still referred to her as his wife, which makes sense because she was the only person he ever married. Mm -hmm. So he just kept her that way. And before dying, he gave her full permission to tell his story, even the ugly parts. So the nice thing about all this is while, God, he pulled a lot of terrible, heinous shit. But it seems like he he recognized it. Yeah. And he reconciled with pretty much everyone, it seems. He saw the error of his ways. He got sober. This is, I think, one of those nice true redemption stories where he really made up for his shit. I hope so. It seemed that way because when you read the book, the way people look upon him, it's even through the shitty shit, they kind of... (laughs) The shitty shit. The shitty shit. (laughs) They, They look upon him like, you know, but that was just... That was what happened then, whatever... I understand They, they that, almost have a fond. But, like, uh, but if there are people that were the same age, that grew up in the same time era, of course they're going to say that. Mm-hmm. Of course they're going to be like, well, um, you know, that was just the way he was and whatever. Right. Nowadays, we don't tolerate that shit so much, but I It's don't hard. Know. You want to know it's, it's hard, hard? Because at one side, you can't fucking condone that shit. You can't right. forgive it. You can't say that that was okay. You can't say that that was yeah. the times. However, flip it on the other side. We need to be more empathetic. We need to understand that people can redeem themselves. People aren't going to want to try to redeem themselves if they don't think that there's an option to do so. Yeah. So at the same time, you need to look at somebody and it's like if they're really sorry, if they're really making up for it and you can tell like there's a genuine... I'm sorry in there. Yeah. How can you not say, all right, I'm going to take your hand and we're going to try this again? Because I think a lot of people really want to not see the person realize how wrong they were. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't want the person to see the error of their ways. and They want them to burn. They, they want them to burn in hell. Really. Um, I mean, that's what's wrong. To- think about it. That's what's wrong with our prison system, though. Yeah. We don't believe in redemption. We believe in, now nah, you're just going to pay for shit for the rest of your life. Right. And also prison systems are Yeah, that's like, a, I mean, that's like, a, that's like a little sprinkle on top of yeah. a giant bullshit Sunday. But right. I just, it's an interesting, it's interesting to look at him. Yeah. On that. Well, at the end, Warren Zevon died on September 7th, 2003 at age 56. The Wind was certified gold and won Best Contemporary Folk Album at the Grammys. 
He will forever be remembered as the guy who didn't dumb himself down to appease the masses and someone willing to travel down the harder roads to give people the most genuine stories. And that's really how he's remembered by the people that actually fucking remember him. Yeah. There, I feel like he's he is a cult figure. A lot of people don't know his story. Honestly, researching this, it was hard to find stuff on him yeah. outside of this book. Like a yeah. couple books are written. There's barely any documentaries besides the VH1 one, which I think is a little polished and I didn't it wasn't Oh yeah. It didn't have what I needed. It didn't have the meat of the story. Yeah. The Wikipedia page is sparse as fuck. Yeah. His story is one that's not super well told so i'm hoping i did it justice and gave people a good chunk because he is a fascinating person Mm -hmm. and his story is interesting and it deserves to be told he did a lot for the music industry because again look at all the fucking people he was friends with he inspired some of the greats that we know today who are still performing Mm -hmm. so you gotta give him his due in that sense Mm -hmm. even if he has a really complicated background but Despite his complicated background, maybe he's one of the very few uh, people who was kind of a shitty person in his heyday. But, I mean, maybe it was just being older. Maybe it was just the illness. I don't know. Maybe it was getting sober. Maybe it was getting sober (laughs) that made him realize, oh, fuck, I really fucked up. You know what? I'm putting my money on the sober part. (laughs) I'm going to put my, I'm going to put a 60% of my bets on the um oh shit i'm gonna die (laughs) part and then like maybe like 30 percent on like the getting sober part and 10 percent on getting older well you know what also too per usual he had kind of a bizarre crazy childhood so let this be a lesson parents try to just be honest and good with your kids just be fucking normal just for once as normal as you can be like fun but normal yeah don't don't fucking throw knives at your wife or husband's heads in front of your kids. Probably. Just don't do it. Don't shoot imaginary cockroaches on the toilet. Yeah. So. Don't bring your gun to the shitter. <laughs> don't bring your gun to you the shitter. You know what? If there's anything that we should end this on, it's don't, don't bring, bring your, your gun to the shitter. Don't bring your gun to the shitter. Don't it's, do it, guys. It never ends up well. No. <laughs> Thank you, Warren Zevon. Thanks, Warren Zevon. I will enjoy every enjoy sandwich. Enjoy every sandwich. And I won't bring my gun to the shitter. <laughs> That's the best life lessons I could have ever gotten. Perfect. Yeah, excellent. Man. All right. So that's it. That's Warren Zevon. I hope you kids enjoyed it. Thank you for the suggestions. We appreciate them. And we appreciate you listening. Yes, yes. Because we would be nowhere without you. Or we would just sit here and creep, keep screaming into the abyss. That's also something we could do. <laughs> we would probably keep doing that anyway. I'm just going to scream into the abyss, guys. Yeah. It's fine. But uh, yeah. So thanks for tuning in and come on in next week for more listener suggested stories. Sweet treats of things that you want to hear. Hopefully. Hopefully. At least one of you wants to hear them. <laughs> and if you have been enjoying what you're hearing, you should hit us up on iTunes. Give us some sweet ratings, stars, reviews. Tell us how awesome we are. It'd be great. Mm. You can also talk to us on the social medias like Twitter at Rock Candy Pod and Instagram and Facebook at Rock Candy Podcast. And, of course, our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. Yeah, we got stuff there. You should go to it. <laughs> Oh, man. It's all right. a glowing review for all of our social media. I mean, at this point, it's it's pretty much 
just embedded in my brain cavities. Yeah. I'll be dying on my deathbed. I'm like, www.rockcandypodcast.com. <laughs> and they're like, what is this? These are wonderful podcasts. Oh, it's a What's shame a podcast? she's dead. We don't know what a podcast is. That's the only way. 2060. In 2060, that's the only way we're going to get information anymore. It's podcasts in the underground. <laughs> Cyberpunk future! No. Beep boop. Everyone's going to have plastic hair dreads and be wearing like neon green platform boots. I, I don't want really, this. I'd be really excited for it because I kind of am. <laughs> A cyberpunk or excited? A little bit of both. <sighs> we'll have to talk about this. Yeah, later. we will. <laughs> All right. We'll see you kids next week. And with that, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Ah, woo. Werewolves of London. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>